This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Hear the Word of God. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's pray. Our Lord, we ask for your grace as we study your word this evening. We pray that you would open to us the scriptures that make us wise for salvation, to grow in our love for you, grow in our knowledge of you and of your salvation. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin this text, one of the first words that we encounter is the word therefore, which indicates that this is a conclusion drawn on information that has been previously given. You'll recall perhaps from last time or the passage uh, before our text this evening that Paul was just speaking of the love of Christ controlling us or constraining us, Christ's love for us because of his dying for us, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now for Paul, the doctrine of Christ's death has many and immediate implications for our lives. And in different places, he draws out what those are. You'll know, of course, that uh, for Paul, any imperative that he gives, any instruction as to how we should live, this is what you should do, live this way, is always based on God's saving work in Christ. That's what makes Christianity different from moralism. The moralist says, be good, be good for goodness sake, live this way, because it's good to live this way. Christianity is not saying that. Christianity is saying Christ has died, he has been raised to new life, and if you are a Christian, you are united to him in his death and resurrection by the Holy Spirit, and because that has profoundly changed who you are, you will live and you are to live in a different way from what you were before. And Paul, without going into specifics here, uh, describes that change that uh, t- takes place as a result of who we are at Christ, uh, in Christ, and specifically here, uh, three different ways of seeing, seeing, uh, seeing other people, seeing Christ, even seeing ourselves. And so that's what we want to look at here. Uh, just a couple of verses, because these verses really are quite uh, full, quite packed in what he says here. A lot of implications that grow out of what he of, of Christ's death, and just a few that we'll uh, think about here this evening. First of all, because Christ has died for us, because we have died with him and been raised to new life. But Paul describes here in Christ a new way, first of all, of looking at others. Look at uh, verse 16. 
He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. From now on, being from, from when? From now on, dating back to our conversion, dating back to when we came to know Christ and participate in his death. So from our regeneration, from our new birth, we look at other people in a new way. Specifically, he says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, that's a curious way of putting it that may not be immediately uh, evident as to what it is Paul means. What does he mean when he says to, uh, to regard someone or view someone according to the flesh? Well, he's basically saying to, uh, to look at someone, to evaluate another human being, to think about them from the standpoint of our own previously unregenerate, fallen condition, or to look at that person uh, as who they are as a person as measured by worldly standards. Some of those standards would include worldly distinctions like race, like social status, like economic status, uh, such things as their ability or talents, uh, titles, achievements, fame, or notoriety. Uh, these are some of the kinds of distinctions that the world takes into account when it evaluates another human being. Those are the sorts of things that it looks at, the kinds of things that it thinks of as important. And that is the way the world works. People are constantly evaluating other people, and they do so by these various standards, by these various benchmarks. What race are they? What kind of money do they make? What kind of influence do they have? What kind of position do they hold? All of these kinds of things, we could say, are ways of regarding someone according to the flesh, according to the way that the world does things. And what Paul is saying here is from now on, now that we are in Christ, we don't look at people the same way anymore. Now, Paul has been addressing the question of those who were evaluating him according to their own criteria. And Paul has been talking about how in his own ministry, ultimately, uh, he's exposed to the eyes of God. He is under the gaze of God. He's accountable to God. And uh, fundamentally, the only thing that matters is what God thinks of him. But he certainly wants the Corinthian believers to think appropriately and accurately of him. Uh, and not measure him by these kinds of worldly distinctions. And so that's why Paul says we now in Christ regard no one according to the flesh. For one thing, uh, God himself is no respecter of persons. Persons, the Bible says repeatedly uh, that God shows no partiality. Romans 2 verse 11, in fact, puts it that bluntly, for God shows no partiality. And the, the distinction in question has to do with Jew or Gentile. And Paul says uh, God doesn't regard one above the other based merely on the fact that one is a Jew and one is a Gentile, but rather who they are in Christ. The same thing again in Ephesians 6 verse 9. God does not show partiality. Here the distinction between master and slave. God does not pay attention to those kinds of distinctions. And again, in Colossians 3, the same uh, distinction. And therefore, those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are called in Christ to be godly, to live godly lives, which is to me, it means to be God-like, 
are therefore not to measure people by those same kinds of worldly distinctions. Of course, the classic passage on this, if you want to turn, is to James chapter 2, verse 1. Probably a familiar passage to you. Uh, but one where James uh, fleshes out what this means, and a particular example of what this would look like. James chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Why evil thoughts? Well, because we've fallen back into that worldly pattern of measuring people by those familiar worldly human distinctions, showing attention to the rich man, giving the place of preference to the rich man simply because he's wealthy or he's well-dressed and, and, and not treating the person who's poor, who's shabbily dressed uh, as well as we would treat someone else. Those are making worldly evaluations and worldly distinctions. And that's a subtle thing. It, it requires heart searching because we almost instinctively react that way. And yet, as Paul says, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. The Corinthians were guilty of this, this very behavior. As Paul writes to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 3 and following. Uh, as Paul is, is writing to them in verse 1, he says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. Now that's quite a come down for them because they thought of themselves as spiritual. Their emphasis on speaking in tongues and all of this kinds of stuff. Paul says, no, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ, fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Now, he doesn't mean there that they're not converted, but he is saying that they're acting like the world. They're acting like unbelievers. He's rebuking them here. But he goes on to say in verse 3, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And by that, obviously they are human, but he's saying, are you not just acting in, a, in the way that any unbeliever would act? Are you not acting according to the flesh, if we want to put it that way? And then later in 1 Corinthians, not 2, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, Paul addresses this same tendency to measure people in this worldly way from a human point of view uh, in verse 19. Uh, in verse 18, he says, When you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And then he goes on, of course, to give that great passage on the Lord's Supper that's so often read in the context of the communion service. Uh, the very thing that was a symbol of their unity uh, was not accurate, because they were very much divided. And in fact, Paul sort of goads them a little bit. He says, of course, you have to have factions so that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Each faction claiming to be the real thing. Well, I'm of Paul. I'm of Paulus. I'm of Christ and so forth. 
And in fact, speaking of the I follow Christ crowd, it may be that Paul was addressing here uh, a little bit of that same party spirit and those who said, well, you know, we, we follow Christ. Well, that leads us into the next uh, group or the next way of looking that Paul describes here. But the first one is a different way of looking at people. We evaluate people, if not according to the flesh, then how? Well, the fundamental distinction now for those who are in Christ is not rich or poor or Jew or Gentile or black or white or whatever it might be, whatever these human distinctions are that we so quickly and easily draw up, but fundamentally in Christ or not in Christ. You see, for Christians, that's the fundamental distinction. If they are in Christ, then they are a brother, they are a sister in the Lord. And if they are not in Christ, then they need to be, they are under the wrath of God and should be an object of our prayers and evangelism and concern. And so within the body, uh, as Paul says in Galatians 3, there's no longer uh, Jew or Gentile, uh, male or female, slave or free. I mean, obviously those categories are there, but they no longer matter because we are one in Christ Jesus. We're drawn together. So we don't regard people that way anymore in the church. So those of us who have experienced the grace of God, we are one in Christ Jesus. The primary qualification is not what color or what money, status, any of that kind of stuff, but that, they, that we are in Christ. Now, he goes on to say, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And Paul uh, is acknowledging here, uh, not just other people, but even Jesus himself, he, and he says we, but he's obviously speaking of his own experience as well as that of others, even regarded Christ according to the flesh, and evaluated Christ according to how someone who is unregenerate would evaluate him. And this is where maybe Paul has an eye toward that Christ party in Corinth. Remember, some said, I follow Paul. Others said, I follow Peter or Cephas. And yet others said, I follow Christ. And it's possible that among those there may have been some who were in some way connected with Jesus in his earthly ministry, who actually knew Jesus literally in the flesh, maybe, maybe not. But Paul is saying here that even among those who did know Jesus physically, they really can't claim any kind of superior walk with the Lord for that experience. There were certainly many people who encountered Jesus in his bodily and physical ministry who were not the better spiritually for it. Many people who followed him for a time and then rejected him or rejected him outright, even among the twelve, there was Judas, of course, who later betrayed Jesus, though he certainly had a front row seat to Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, when Paul speaks of the flesh, it could be literally in that sense of knowing Jesus in the flesh. Uh, even the disciples who did persevere in following Jesus were often confused and frightened and slow to catch on until after they were given the Holy Spirit in, on the day of Pentecost. Some have speculated from what Paul says here that he may refer to having known Jesus in some way in the flesh. Uh, Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. He certainly was around and alive during Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's quite possible that Paul had encountered Jesus at one time or another, heard him teach, uh, maybe even seen miracles. We don't know uh, to what extent Paul had contact with Jesus or was aware of Jesus uh, prior to what we read of him in the book of Acts, but it's not 
certainly not impossible and, and, and maybe even quite likely that he would have had some acquaintance with Jesus during his earthly ministry. But that, again, ultimately is not what Paul is saying. That it would include that, those who know him in the flesh. But when Paul is saying this, we don't even know Jesus according to the flesh. Again, we don't evaluate Jesus by worldly standards. Uh, we don't think of Jesus in terms of what he offers as a political leader. Uh, we mentioned this morning uh, the tendency of people even today who, in what they would see as a tip of the hat to Jesus, an effort to acknowledge or honor Jesus, would say things about Jesus, such as he's a good teacher, he's a great moralist, uh, whatever it might be, uh, that simply are human ways of evaluating Jesus. But it's only by being made regenerate, only by being alive now in Christ, that we evaluate, that we regard Jesus properly, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior, that we don't evaluate him based on uh, earthly standards. He had no, no form, no majesty that we should be attracted to him. And as Isaiah goes on, there was nothing particularly outstanding physically about him that would make him attractive. Certainly nothing in terms of wealth, certainly nothing in terms of earthly power. All these standards by which people evaluate other people, Jesus did not have those things. Uh, and the proper way to appraise Jesus was not uh, as a teacher, moralist, a miracle worker, but as the Savior, as a suffering servant, uh, the Messiah whom the Father sent. So, new way of looking at people, other people, a new way of looking at Christ, but also here, uh, even a new way of looking at ourselves. What is the very nature of a Christian? And Paul describes this in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is why the first two distinctions verse in verse 16 are, are what they are. Because we ourselves are different. Now he says, if anyone is in Christ. And for Paul, that is a, a wonderfully uh, concise, shorthand way of describing everything that happens to a person when the Holy Spirit makes them alive spiritually and they become a believer. Paul says they are in Christ. They are literally, by the Holy Spirit, united to Christ. Uh, Christ is now their their federal head, their representative, rather than Adam. And everything that would be true of a person in Christ is is captured by that expression, in Christ. And so Paul is basically saying we don't know ourselves according to the flesh uh, anymore either. We don't measure ourselves by those same standards of the world. We don't measure ourselves. We don't find our value, our self-worth, to use that term, in the same standards or measurements that the world uses, uh, whether it's income or net worth or position or whatever those other standards the world might use are. We don't measure ourselves in that way. Rather, we we see ourselves in Christ as a completely new creation. Now, when Paul uses that term, and I think it should be translated not creature, but creation. It's the same word that occurs in Romans 1.20, where Paul uh, talks about creation, that we know God through what has been made. So since the creation, we see God revealed in in nature around us. Uh, He's pointing here towards something fundamentally new, that we are part of a new creation. Uh, And... In experiencing that, who we are in Christ, the standards, the pretensions, the measurements of this world fall into insignificance. As a Christian, 
We don't measure ourselves in that way. Therefore, we are, on the one hand, not puffed up with pride over those kinds of things, nor, on the other hand, lacking them, or we cast down into despair. But we see ourselves belonging to God, treasured by God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, and therefore looking at ourselves in an entirely different way. Uh, Now, when he says that um, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come, he he uses a, a verb tense that indicates a very decisive act, a decisive once for all event, namely the experience of our new birth. When we are born again by the Holy Spirit, uh, those things are past. All of those former ways of looking at ourselves, distinctions, prejudices, misconceptions, enslavement, all of those things are now cast into the past. They're who we once were. And there's a break when we become a Christian, when we are made new. The old has passed away, he says, behold, the new has come. That behold there, almost just this... this this uh, this impulsive outburst. The new has come. We've changed. Things are now radically different. And of course, if you uh, if you read Paul's letters, read the scriptures, you know that what happens on a personal level, as Paul describes it here, is what will ultimately happen on a cosmic level. Indeed, it's it's a part of what's going to happen on a cosmic level. Where in the scriptures, uh, in Isaiah, it foretold in the Old Testament, Isaiah sixty five. In verse 18, verse 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad of my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping, the cry of distress. And it goes on, just describing that newness, the new thing. That God is doing. Second uh, Peter three verse thirteen. He speaks of the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Revelation twenty one one, echoing Isaiah. I saw new heavens and new earth, for the first had passed away. And goes on to say there will be no more tears. God will wipe away every tear. There will no longer be mourning or sickness or sorrow or, or death. For the former things have passed away. Now, what's going to happen on a cosmic scale with Christ's return has already happened to you and me and every Christian on an individual level. And Paul can say if anyone is in Christ, he's not just trying to do better. He's not just trying to uh, turn over a new leaf. This is something so radical that Paul can describe you as a new creation. Now, yes, we still struggle with sin. Yes, there is that old nature. Yes, there are old patterns to be addressed and to be dealt with. But it's not just a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of recognizing who you are in Christ as someone who has been radically changed and by the power of the Holy Spirit then living in obedience to God's word and finding that God gives us the ability to do it. Think of the man this morning, that paralyzed man. Jesus says to him, get up. You could say to to Jesus, I can't, I can't walk. But you see, in the act of obedience, he found he had the power to do it. And that's who we are. We are new creations. And the Lord says to us, live in this way. And we look at it and we say, I can't live in that way. But as we say, Lord, I trust you, and we'll begin to live in that way, we do that, 
And we find that God, in fact, has given us the grace and the new life to live in that way. So now that we are in Christ, we have a new way of looking at other people. We don't measure people the way that the world does. We value people, but for very different reasons. We don't look at Christ the same way. And we certainly don't look at ourselves the way we once did. Because as Paul says, we are new creations. All this, he says in verse 18, is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this magnificent change that is brought about by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for myself, pray for my brothers and sisters here, that you would forgive us when we continue to apply old, uh, worldly, fleshly standards of evaluating and measuring engaging people. Uh, Father, we know that Paul himself was accused of not being much in person, not being much in, when he's present, and yet, Lord, you used him magnificently, and we respect and look up to him as one whom you so used. Father, we pray that we would not evaluate people that way, and certainly, Lord, we don't want to think of Christ in that way, but Father, we also pray that we would not see ourselves in these old categories or see ourselves merely as others see us, but to see us, to see ourselves for who we are in Christ, to see ourselves as Scripture describes us, as a new creation. The old is gone, and new has come. Help us to live out of that as your people, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.